Hello, this is Kevin McMullen, Senior Pastor of Independence Christian Center. Thanks for joining us as we break the bread of life today. Our prayer is that your faith in our Lord Jesus Christ is strengthened by this word. God bless you. Continuing our series on rich Christians, I have entitled it that provocatively, intentionally, because it flies in the face of a lot of religion. Everybody say amen. And last week we talked about how, or, uh, you know, well, not last week, but uh, whenever we were here last on a Wednesday, we talked about how that um, we needed to uh, get real. It's time to get real about money because money is what the, every, money is what the forces that are trying to shape this world are using to try to shape this world. All right. And so we, you know, we, I believe that a Christian is supposed to be prosperous. And so I've entitled tonight's message, yeah, but what about Jesus? What about Jesus? When you talk about money, money is an emotional subject. It is a volatile subject. Money can, when you talk about money, emotions can quickly get very, very uh, strong, very involved, you know, especially when you're talking about my money. It's, it's okay. Everybody can say amen. amen. You know, if we're talking about your money, it's one thing. But when you start talking about my money, that's, you know, that, that's something very different. And, you know, when you talk about money, you talk about taxes, fees, food prices, gas prices. We're seeing such inflation and everything. Some people want to sound philosophical and say, well, you know, money really isn't that important in the scheme of things. To which I want to ask, what universe do you live in? And, and we see the love of money destroying millions, distorting government, distorting public policy, influencing laws. Uh, Matthew 6 and 21, Jesus said this, For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. He's talking about money. That word treasure is not some metaphysical, you know, metaphor or something like that. It is he, he, because the context is money. Because he says, stop laying up for yourselves treasures on earth where thieves dig through and steal, moth and rust destroy. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where those things don't happen. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. I've said that, I've heard it said that there seems to be a nerve, a big nerve, a very sensitive nerve that goes from the brain to the wallet. And, you know, you know it, I mean, you go, there's a couple of things. You start talking about sex, you start talking about money, and the people get quiet. Everybody say amen. amen. Turn to somebody and say, he's already taken the offering. You're, you know, it's, it's cool. All right. Matthew chapter 16 and verse 24. Now, here, let's, let's start talking about, let's, start, let's, let's do, drill down into this. In Matthew chapter 16 and verse 24, then Jesus says to, said to his disciples, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Immediately people look at that and say, ah, We've got to be like Jesus. Okay, d definitely. But what does that mean? Well, you know, you, you know there, we read this and it says, let him deny himself. Yes, if you and I are going to follow Jesus, there is a price to pay. There is a focus to gain, all right? And a lot of foci, which is the plural of focus, there, to, 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 to shun, all right? But is following, is that price of following Jesus what the world and tradition says it is? Everybody say amen. It's true. All right? And make no mistake, the world has very strong opinions about Jesus and about his life and about what he was like. In fact, in Mark 10 and 21, when the rich young ruler came to Jesus. We read it last week. And he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, you know the commandments. And he rattled off a few. And the rich young man looked at him and said, Lord, I've kept, Master, I've kept all these things from my youth up. What am I still lacking? And Mark 10, 21, looking at him, 
Jesus felt a love for him and said to him, One thing you lack, go and sell all you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Come, follow me. And so the world looks at that and says, Yep, there it is. You have to give up everything. You have to walk in poverty. You know, and, and, and that is the Jesus of the Bible. That's what the world says. That's what religion will tell you. But is that scripture, when we understand it that way, taken out of context? I submit that it is. And that, that idea that of what and who Jesus was influences the world and that worldly opinion and that religious opinion affects us. It is religious brainwashing. Everybody say amen. amen. All right, both of you. All right. And you on YouTube whenever you hear this, all right? And the thing of it is, when you get brainwashed, or blindsided, when you get brainwashed, it, it happens, what'll happen is, you'll start skipping over things, or you'll miss things that, that, that contradict your mindset. You'll read through things, or you'll see things, and you'll go, eh, and it just won't make any sense to you, because your, your mind is, has been trained to go a certain way. Now, that can be positive if your brain has been programmed with the truth, but when, it's, when the programming is something other than what's true, then it creates a problem. We're seeing it in our culture today, this brainwashing, this, you know, this creation of narrative, 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 narrative. And in fact, Homeland Security has just been told, you know, look out for people who are misinforming and disinforming people. And they're even forming groups to run down online people that are giving misinformation and everything. Dobre pozdrowit fenovi sovietski soyuz. Welcome to the new Soviet Union. I am not a Russian sympathizer. It's quiet in here. <laughs> Is, was Jesus a poor, itinerant preacher who didn't have two nickels to rub together, two drachma to rub together, or even two lepta to rub together? What does the Bible say about money? What does the Bible say about wealth? What does it say about God's attitude toward us in that? Deuteronomy 11, 9 through 12, so that you may prolong your days on the land which Yahweh swore to your fathers to give you, and, uh, give to them and to their descendants, a land flowing with milk and honey. For the land into which you are entering to possess it is not like the land of Egypt, which is a type of the world, with, from which you came, where you used to sow your seed and water it with your foot like a vegetable garden. In other words, they had, to, they had to irrigate everything. But the land into which you are about to cross to possess it is a land of hills and valleys, drinks water from the rain of heaven. Hallelujah. How many of you could believe for some of that? The rain of heaven, a land for which Yahweh your God cares, and the eyes of Yahweh your God are always on it from the beginning even to the end of the year. Doing what? Producing produce, producing grass for the cattle and for the sheep, and fruit and, and, the, and, and grain, which, of course, in an agrarian society, that is prosperity. Everybody say amen. Yeah. yeah. Or... Is it just some Old Testament, Old Covenant thing that didn't somehow make it over into the new? And the world is quick to tell you, well, that's Old Covenant. That was just for the Jews. Well, thank God I'm Jewish. Amen. Says in Romans, he is not a Jew who is one outwardly with the circumcision of the flesh made by human hands, but he is a Jew who is an inwardly of the circumcision of the heart made by the Spirit. Everybody say, I'm Jewish. All right. But is the, percept, the world's religious perception of Jesus as this poor itinerant preacher who went around just living off of the largesse of others and hoping that God was going to open a door, living, you know, by the daily bread, that's the way they in, interpret that, is that perception correct? Well, let's fact check it. Religion has taught us that prosperity is okay at a reasonable level. Well, what's reasonable? It's whatever the person decides it is. Everybody's a judge of that. 
And the world is quick to quote, money is the root of all evil. Well, they ought to know. But that's a misquotation. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever been embarrassed, even a little bit, by a blessing that's come your way? Something really nice? Something that may have been expensive? Something that may have, uh, you know, be, may, may seem like it's really more than you needed? It's really, it's really, you know, I, you know it, maybe, you know, there are people that think that your house is really too nice. You shouldn't live in a place like that. You know, there are people like that. Amen. Amen. And they, you know, they, you, and they, Christians should just scrape along and bump along and, 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 you know, uh, have you ever felt, you know, when you're showing somebody something and they say, Oh man, that is a nice car. And then you felt compelled to tell them how you got a really good deal. Cause you don't want them to think that, you know, you spend a lot of money and everything because, or, or, you know, it's a, you know what I'm talking about? Have you ever looked at something and thought that's really too nice for me? Two of you? Okay. Well, that's nice to know. To the extent that you've experienced that, that is the world's brainwashing in full operation. It is religious tradition. It is religious brainwashing and not New Testament and Old Testament, biblical scriptural theology. And we are all theologians. Every one of us. And our theology directly influences our thinking. And as one of my professors in seminary used to say, good theology sets people free. It liberates you because it is the truth. Bad theology puts people and keeps people in bondage because it is not the truth. It is of the lie. And what would really following, I mean really following Jesus mean to my finances? Many, many people would tell you it means that I can't really have super nice things. It means I can get by, but it doesn't, I, I, you know, I'm not allowed to have a lot. To which I say, poppycock, balderdash, unscriptural. Jesus was this itinerant preacher who had little or nothing he was born to poverty. How do we know that his family was poor? Well, because there in Luke, it says that when they went up to offer the, after the, the period of the, the cleansing, etc., approximately 40 days, they went up to offer the offering for, you know, he was the firstborn male, her firstborn male, and it says two turtle doves, which was the offering for a poor family. They said, see that? He was from very, very humble a very, very humble beginning. Well, I agree with that. But it was a little over a year later, or maybe even a year and a half later, that the Magi showed up with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Yes, yes, yes. And they were giving the... It wasn't like, here, here's this, here's this small gold coin. You don't do that for a king. They brought a... The, the, uh, they brought the uh, gifts that were fit for a king. Yes. And frankincense and myrrh were worth their weight, more than their weight, you know, in, in, in that sense, in gold. And so when the flight to Egypt occurred, when the angel spoke to Joseph and said, get up and get out, they had the finances to take care of business. Yes, Furthermore, when they came back from Egypt, I'm pretty sure they didn't spend it all. That's another thing about gold and silver and myrrh and, you know, uh, and frankincense is they are very portable. It's also possible that Joseph had a place he could leave some of the heavier stuff if there was that much there, in, you know, in, in Nazareth or actually in Capernaum, um, uh, you know, wherever they were at the time. And so they, there's so many people that believe that Jesus had no reserve, no treasury. He's just making it day to day. But and, in, and they love to point to this, Matthew 8 and 20. Jesus said to him, the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. You see that? Jesus didn't even have a place to sleep. That is the quintessential verse for the argument of Jesus, the penniless or drachmaless itinerant preacher. All right. 
But in Matthew chapter 10, um, we see, and here's another one, Matthew chapter 10, verses 5 through 10. These 12 Jesus sent out after instructing them, do not go in the way of the Gentiles, do not enter any city of the Samaritans, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, yeah. cleanse the leper, yeah. cast out demons. Everybody aware of the fact we're still supposed to be doing those things. Amen. Amen. All right. Freely you have received, freely give. Do not acquire gold or silver or copper for your money belts or a bag for your journey or even two coats, two tunics or sandals or a staff for the worker is worthy of his support. You see that? We're supposed to go out there, trust in God every single day. That part of it's true. And not have any, uh, any backup, any provision, any reserve, any, you know, no, no wallet. I guess you could just stick your driver's license in your back pocket. You know, no, anything like that. But when you believe that, it is a view of Jesus that has led people to take vows of poverty, and the world will applaud poverty for spirituality. They, they won't join you, but they will applaud you. Yeah. Amen. They won't participate. All right. But how does this, you know, Joseph, we talked about Joseph and Mary's turtle dove thing. We talked about the, the, the Magi coming. Well, let's look at something else. And when the days, Luke 9, 51 and following, when the days were approaching for his ascension, he was determined to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers ahead of him, and they went and entered the village of the Samaritans to make arrangements for him. Now, when you are traveling with a retinue, and you send people ahead to make arrangements, what would that mean? All right, just think about that for a second. But they did not receive him because he was traveling toward Jerusalem. Why did they not receive him? Because he was traveling toward Jerusalem. Again, this is a, these are Samaritans who have refused Jesus' lodging and uh, food service because he's traveling toward Jerusalem. Everybody understand that the Samaritans and the Jews didn't exactly, you know, get along. All right? And when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down out of heaven and consume them? I mean, after all, Elijah did it more than once. Sounds like a plan. But he turned and rebuked them and said, You don't know what kind of spirit you're of. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went to another village. As they were going along the road. Okay, now we have Matthew chapter, um, uh, um, or, or Mark, or what was Matthew 8 and 20, I had it right. Matthew 8 and 20 in context here. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He wasn't saying, I'm broke, I'm destitute, I don't have anything. He was saying, I don't even have a place to sleep tonight, buddy, because of racial and spiritual prejudice and discrimination. I'm being persecuted. Are you ready to pay that price? He sent people to make arrangements, to book the rooms, to set up the, the food service so that his retinue could spend the night there and then continue their trip to Jerusalem. Does that sound like a penniless, vagabond, itinerant preacher? All right? I don't think so. Sometimes serving the Lord, whether or not you have money, means hardship. I mean, if you follow me, there will be times that the Lord will, where, you know, 
you'll have the money to do something. Maybe you'll have the money to buy your way out of a bad situation or to, you know, gild the situation a little bit. And the Lord says, no, I don't want you to do that. I don't want you to do that. What, wonder what heading would we put that? Deny yourself. Take up your cross. Follow me. I remember many, 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 many years ago, I was driving a 1978 Volkswagen Rabbit diesel. And it was, uh, we, in fact, we called it, the whole church called it the Rusty Rabbit. It was so rusty that I was backing out of the driveway one day and the whole rear axle just collapsed into the body. I had to have it towed over to my mechanics. And I said, what do we do about this? He said, well, we'll put some angle iron in there and we'll get it back up off the body. I mean, I even had, remember how there for a few years back in the 90s, we had these, back in the 90s, we had these little uh, triangular signs that there was a suction cup that would go onto your window and it might say baby on board. And I had one and I don't think I bought it. I think somebody here in the church gave it to me that said rust is my favorite color. <laughs> and I remember one time driving to Tulsa, I was doing doctoral work, so it must've been the early nineties. And some guys were, drove past me, you know, out on what used to be 71 is now 29. I guess it still is 71. And, and they were laughing and pointing and everything. I was about to get offended until I realized they'd read my sign. So my mechanic said, well, we can put some angle iron in there. We can, we can get the body up off of it and everything like that. And we're going to make every effort we can to get it absolutely straight. But I'm going to tell you right now with a frame thing like that, we're not going to get it perfect. I said, okay. And so they did it and I paid for it and he was right. It was not perfect. Because, you know, it's, it's kind of like, you know, uh, I would be driving down the street a little bit like this. This is, this is exaggerated, but it was kind of like this. You know, it's kind of like I'm flying an airplane and I've got it in a crab to, you know, to compensate for a crosswind. Then the engine got to where it didn't want to start any day. It was cold. And, you know, if I didn't plug it in, it was, you know, the, the block heater. And I finally just said, I'm lying there in bed one night and I said, Lord... I deserve a new car. Is there anybody in here besides me that deserves a new car? How many of you deserve a new car? And I said, Lord, I deserve a new car. And I'm tired of this. I'm tired of this rabbit. I'm tired of the, the trouble I've had with it. And in fact, that wasn't even the rabbit. That was the dasher because I'd, I'd gotten rid of the rabbit and gotten in a dasher. And I went over to Mark and Chris's house when they were still living here in Independence and I stood up there on their porch and talked to them while the dasher is sitting out there in their driveway. Just, you know, it's diesel dasher. It's idling. And what I didn't know is that the fan circuit that's supposed to turn on to keep the engine cool had failed. And so that diesel sat out there and cooked itself. Ruined, completely ruined my compression. I mean, the next day I tried to start it and it barely got going and it wasn't even cold weather. That was like in the springtime. And by this time, after the rusty rabbit, and now I'm in this dasher and it's like, you know, and, and, and I enjoyed the cars. You know, driving a four-cylinder non-turbocharged diesel is a very fulfilling experience for two reasons. Number one, because you're, you're only, you're getting 45 miles to the gallon. And number two, because you get to drive around with your foot on the floor all the time. Not to speed, but just to get out of the way. And I had it. And I said, Lord, I'm getting a new car. I deserve a new car. I'm just going to get a new car. Because, you know, I'm just going to go pick it. You know, you want to prosper me. I know you want to prosper me. And so I'm just, you know, I'm going to go buy a new car. And so I'm lying there just about to drift off to sleep. And the Holy Spirit spoke very clearly and said, do not buy anything for at least three months. And I went, what? And I went, okay, fine. Wait a minute. 
No. I need a new car now. Lord, uh, have you ever prayed this way? Lord, if that was you, confirm it. <laughs> it just, just confirm it to me. I, you know, like, and so I get ready. And just as I'm getting ready to drift off to sleep again, and I mean, it's not even two minutes. He spoke again very clearly and said, you don't need confirmation. Just do what I tell you. Oh, the Lord would never speak to us like that. Oh, you came too late for me. That's part of taking up your cross, denying yourself and following him. And I got another car almost exactly three months later. I am telling you with that rabbit, I'm not, I'm not joking you. One time I was driving down the road and the clutch cable broke. And I'm driving I'm slipping through red lights and I'm driving through parking lots to avoid lights and everything, trying to get it back to the mechanics without killing it because once the engine dies, it's a tow. And it's like, it was never a dull moment with that car. And I wanted a new car. And the Lord said, don't even, do, don't even think about buying anything for, another, for at least three months. And, I, and then, oh gosh, three, and three months later, a little over three months later, I got another car, another rabbit but it had absolutely no rust on it anywhere. And in fact, it had an engine, but it didn't have a transmission. It didn't have a, an injector pump. And so I, I got it for 900 bucks. No, you know, it, it was air conditioned and everything. And I bought the transmission for $100. And I got the inject, and you know, and I, when they put it in there, uh, Dennis, the, the, the uh, uh, mechanic that was working on it, said, okay, I'm going to put the injector pump, your injector pump on this. And he said, I'm going to test the, the compression because we don't know anything about this motor. We don't know what kind of compression it has and everything. And then once we test that, we'll have an idea of what needs to be done next. I said, okay, great. So I'm thinking, oh. So I go back over there that afternoon and I said, How the com how'd the compression work out? He goes, it tested like brand new. I said, you are kidding me. He said, no. He said, this thing is cherry. I said, that's awesome. I said, how's my injector pump doing? He said, it's just doing great. You're ready to drive off. I had, what, about twelve or $1,300 in it. And believe me, without going into details, it was a very good thing that I did not go out and buy a new car. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Sometimes serving the Lord means denying yourself. Sometimes it means even though you could go get the loan or you could write the check or whatever, the Lord says, don't do that. Mark chapter 6 and verse 33 and following. And the people saw them going and many recognized them and ran together on foot from all the cities and got there ahead of them. And when Jesus went ashore, he saw a large crowd and he felt compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it was already quite late, his disciples came to him and said, this place is desolate and it is already quite late. Send them away so that they may go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, you give them something to eat. Well, they were not expecting a miracle. And so when he said that, their mind all automatically flipped into logistics mode. How are we going to do this? And what they said to him next is very revealing. They said to him, shall we go and spend 200 denarii on bread and give them something to eat. They did not say, well, we don't have, how are we going to do that? We don't have any money. They asked him the question, do you want to budget 200 denarii to do this? That is over seven months wages for a soldier or a day laborer. His ministry was not poor. His ministry was not broke. Everybody say amen. amen. You know, all you got to do is read. They didn't, they weren't saying, how are we going to do that? How are we going to afford this? They already had a plan. We're going to go buy it. Which tells me they had done things like that in the past. Luke chapter 22, verses 35 and 36. This is when he's getting ready to go to the cross. And he said to them, when I sent you out 
without money belt and bag and sandals. You didn't lack anything, did you? And they said, no, nothing. And he said to them, but now. Everybody say, but now. Do you remember also, he told them, do not go into the, the way of the Samaritans. Do not go to the Gentiles. Now we are to go to the Samaritans and we are to go to the Gentiles, right? So things are changing. And as he said to them, and he said to them, but now whoever has a money belt is to take it along. Likewise, also a bag. And whoever has no sword is to sell his coat and buy one. Wow. So the permanent standard operational procedure is a wallet with money, luggage, and all the ladies said amen, and maybe even a gun. Yeah, but pastor, he's speaking metaphorically. Where does it say that? This is quite literal. Don't spiritualize this. Don't read some religious, inter impose some religious interpretation on the text. Oh, we're just getting started here. We'll be here until, we'll get, I'll get you out by 1030. By the time YouTube gets us back up. All right. In John 13, um, well, no, actually, let's back up. Luke 8, verse, verse 1. Soon afterwards, he, meaning Jesus, began going around, this is when the ministry was truly launching, from one city and village to another, proclaiming and preaching the kingdom of God. Has anybody here ever traveled? Anybody? Now, when you go from one village to the next, even if it's just Jesus in his inner circle, which would have been James, Peter, and John, and there were times it was just the four of them, but other times they had more because there were up to 12 that were named as apostles, and when he would come to town with his team, and they would preach, and they talked about, they would preach until sundown and everything, and they'd say, yes, but there are times when he spent the whole night out on the mountaintop praying, or out on the mountain praying to God. Yes, that's mentioned once. Actually, maybe twice because of the time when he came walking to him on the water. The rest of the time, they had to sleep somewhere. Anybody ever travel? So what do you do? You look for a what? Hotel, an inn, etc. And so in other words, here he is going out, and if it's like anyone else in the real world, he's going to have expenses. Is that right? Am I, am I making sense to anybody? I'm not talking religion. I'm talking scripture. I'm talking real here, all right? And so soon afterwards, he began going around from one city and village to another, proclaiming and preaching the kingdom of God. The 12 were with him. And also, some women who had been healed of evil spirits and sicknesses, Mary, who was called Magdalene, and from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's steward, and Susanna, and listen to this, and many others who were contributing to their support out of their private means. You read it in the Greek, it says, out of their personal treasure. Now, contributing, not contributed. Every word is important. It's an iterative imperfect. It was something that was happening over and over and over, repeatedly over a period of time. These and other people were what many ministries today would call partners. Yes, Jesus had income. He had an inflow. He even had a chief financial officer who was a crook. Ah, some things never change. Judah, Judas, or Yehuda, was his chief financial officer. Everybody say amen. Now listen to this. John 13, 27 through 29. After, this is at the Last Supper. After he had given the, uh, Judas the morsel, after the morsel, Satan then entered into Judas. I've put Judas in there to, for in, in the place, in the brackets, in the place of the personal pronoun, him. Therefore, Jesus said to him, what you do, do quickly. Now, 
no one of those reclining at the table knew for what purpose he had said this to him. For some were supposing, because Judas had the money box, that Jesus was saying to him, buy the things we have need of for the feast, or else he should give something to the poor. Why would they think that? Because they had seen that happen time and time again, that Jesus would tell his chief financial officer, go make arrangements for us here. Go prepare this for us here. When, you know, when Jesus sent, you know, it says he sent a couple of disciples in to prepare the Last Supper. They went in and you go and get a large upper room, find it furnished and set everything up. In other words, they had to rent the room. They had to get the food together and all that. That kind of stuff costs money. And not only that, he didn't send a couple of the lower ranking disciples. He sent Peter and John, people whom he trusted. There is no evidence he sent Judas to, that, to do that. So, Peter may have had to go to Judas and say, hey, I need 20 drachmas to get this set up. Which, you know, Judas would give him the money. But if you don't have, you don't need a treasurer if you don't have treasure. Right. You don't need a chief financial officer if you don't have finances. Right. If I say amen, amen, you know, they were supposing, all right? You know, we... We've got to think about this stuff, not just read over it. All right? And not only that, the income was sufficient that that crooked chief financial officer was able to skim, apparently, unnoticed. You know, if you only get 20 bucks, if you take one, somebody's going to notice. But let's look here. John chapter 12, verses 4 through 6. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, who was intending to betray him, said, Why was this perfume? This is when Jesus was anointed with the perfume that was very, very expensive. Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor people? Now, he said this not because he was really concerned about the poor, but because he was a thief. And that he had, as he had the money box, he used to pilfer what was put into it. Does anybody think that Jesus was unaware of the fact that Judas was stealing from him? <laughs> he knew. I don't know. You know, we, we, we have a feeling when we get, we get to where we elevate Jesus and make him some sort of a spook. He was a human being, a man anointed by the Holy Spirit, and he only knew what the Father showed him through the Spirit. When we're talking about supernatural knowledge, plus his own natural knowledge. <coughs> I'm pretty certain that they were not conducting regular audits of the money box. How many of you are with me? How many, you know... Okay, what was, our, what was our take? What was this like that? How many, okay, I need a, you know, here we, we have very strict procedures. I mean, if we're not going to, if the offering isn't going to be counted, it has to be put in bags and sealed and locked away. And then whenever it's, it's dealt with, it has, there have to be witnesses and there's paperwork and all kinds of things to keep everything, you know, uh, above board and to satisfy our friends at the Internal Revenue Service. You know, accountability, exactly. Well, apparently there was a little, there, there wasn't as much of that in Jesus' ministry. And that doesn't mean that Jesus was sloppy. In fact, I, I remember a um, uh, minister talking about one time he was up, he was up, you know, ministering. And while he was ministering, he had a vision of the individual who, for, uh, who was working for him back there at his table where he was selling his books and stuff like that. This was at a convention, taking money out of his sales and commandeering it for their own use. He was able to, but what if, what if that was happening and then he's ready to go confront said individual and the Lord says, don't do that yet. Don't do that yet. Don't do that yet. Have you ever seen somebody that de desperately needed correcting and you're just the person to jerk them up straight? And in fact, maybe it's something that is hurting you some way. It's injuring you some way. It's costing you some way. And the Lord says, nope, nope, do that. Don't do that. I'll take care of it. Don't do that. Deny yourself. 
Take up your cross. Follow me. Obey me. Wandering, penniless preachers don't have chief financial officers who can embezzle the money and nobody seems to notice. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 10, the love, ah, the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. Not all evil, all kinds of evil. So it's not the love of money is the root of all evil. The love, or mean money is the root of all evil. No, the love of money is the root of all kinds, all sorts of evils. And by longing for it, many or some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. I love the King James there, pierced themselves with many a pang. Loving money makes you miserable. It does. Matthew 6 and 24, no one can serve two masters. Either he'll hate the one and love the other. That is the world. Hates the Lord, loves the mammon, loves the money. Or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. Despise, remember, doesn't mean to hate. It means to hold in low esteem as relatively unimportant. That's the believer. The believer will be devoted to God and hold money not as worthless, but as something that is a tool, something that is um, something that is necessary, but far from being the most important thing. You cannot serve God and wealth. Is it possible to have possessions, maybe even great possessions, and not be covetous? The answer to that question is yes, but that is not the way of the world. And when Christians begin to prosper, the world, and I'm talking about real Christians who stand for truth and won't be silenced, the world starts complaining. Well, Pastor, why are we talking about this now? We've all had our stimmy checks. Well, because the day will be here soon enough that the government won't be able to do that anymore. And they are in the process of losing control. And what, you know, there are days coming when we, true, we see the, the scripture has described for us of living in the last days. And we're going to need to believe God for everything. And God wants to bless you. And the thing of it is, well, you know, we'll just have to learn to get, just get by and to live on less. That's just going to be not necessarily. He he, you know, he, you, you set a table, you know, before me, then the very presence of my enemies, my cup runneth over. Remember when the Israelites asked Moses, can Yahweh set a table in the wilderness? The answer to that question is unequivocally, absolutely yes. He certainly can and will. That's good news. Another word for good news is gospel and telling people that God wants to meet your needs. No, he doesn't want finances to be your idol. He wants you to have money, not money to have you. And I realize that this has been abused unbelievably since the 60s in particular. But just because it has been blown out of proportion and it has been abused and it's been used as a manipulation to manipulate, or as a tool to manipulate people and to raise big offerings and to make some people fat, I'm going to tell you right now, I have no desire to drive a Rolls Royce. I have no desire to own a Rolex. An Apple Watch would be okay, but not a Rolex. Okay? I have no desire for those things. But I am not going to judge the one who has that. Because I am not his or her master. Before God, that individual stands or falls. I want my reward to be, the, the bulk of my reward to be in heaven. That said, should the last of the last days extend beyond my years remaining on this earth, I want to leave an inheritance for my children and my children's children. I want that to be a legacy for them. And God says that that is his will. 
And he also says that the wealth of the, of the wicked is laid up for the just. What, how, how, how does that work? Well, hang around and find out. Absolutely. He wants to make his people stand out, to be exceptional, to be obviously different. And some of those things will come from the miraculous, the moving of the mountain. But the mountain won't move if we don't believe it. How many of you with me here? In other words, if our musicians would come, if I honestly believe in my heart of hearts that poverty, walking in poverty, barely having enough to get by, and just white knuckling it through life, just believe in God for, to scrape by with every, you know, every day, my daily bread. And what Jesus was teaching there was, was that we are to believe God for our daily bread. But just because we are believing him for that doesn't mean we don't have a loaf in the bread basket. How many of you follow me here? Amen. You know, and, and that somehow that poverty is holiness. It is not. I know people that don't have two lepta, two nickels to rub together, who are anything but holy. I know people who are wealthy, who love the Lord with all their heart, all their mind, all their soul, and all of their strength. And they are in a much better position to be a blessing to people in need, to the body of Christ, and to the ministry. God is going to be doing a lot of things in the next few years that are going to cost money. It's been said that the, the living water is free, but the pipes that bring it to you cost something. And there is no, you know, Jesus was not, you know, said, well, what about Jesus? Jesus had plenty. He didn't scrape by. He had a house. He had his own, you know, said, well, Noah says he stayed with Peter, you know, there was one instance where he was, but there was another instance where he told Andrew, come and see where I'm staying. Well, it wouldn't have been Peter's house where Andrew would have known it. And we just, you know, when we read these things, we just have to think. Everybody say amen. amen. You know, isn't it exciting to think theologically and not naturally and certainly not politically? Isn't it nice to not think traditionally, but to think in truth? And to use our heads for something besides a hat rack. Let's all stand. Amen. He is El Shaddai, the God. And we're not done here. You know, I mean, we are for tonight. But we're not done with this subject. I want to show you that it didn't change after the resurrection. It continued. That, that the Lord is our source for everything. Yes, Everybody say is. amen. Yes. You know, praise God. Hallelujah. Those of you watching by internet, what an awesome time to be a believer. And if you're a believer, I want you to know that God wants to supply your needs. Pressed down, shaken together and running over. Paul said, my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Why did he say that? Because the church at Macedonia, specifically at Philippi, had been doers of the word and they had been supporting him Wherever in the world he went, they were constantly sending people looking for Paul, carrying an offering to him. I'll prove that to you in the upcoming weeks. They had given, and he said, I do not rejoice in the gift in self, itself, but the fruit which abounds to your account. Why would we need, you know, if you have a bank account, you expect that what's in that account is yours and you expect to be able to have access to it when you need it. And I'm here to tell you, our Father is not stingy. Our Father is not penurious. Our Father is not a skin flint. He is not a cheapskate. He is none of those things. He paved the streets of the new Jerusalem with gold for crying out loud. What an awesome God. And here he has promised he would feed us from the finest of the wheat and clothe us, clothe us in the glory of Solomon. Is he embarrassed by poverty? Absolutely not. But neither is he blessed by it any more than you are. And you've got to get your believer, your thinker and your believer, understanding that and grasping that 
so you can have faith for it. Because if you can't, if you don't have faith for it, you cut him off. For we walk by faith and not by sight. If you're not a Christian, you need to come to Jesus because God has great and mighty things for you. He will provide for you. You make him your shepherd. He is the good shepherd. He's not like this this slave driver that's out in the world. And if you will pray, Father God, in the name of Jesus, I come to you and I believe with my heart and I confess with my lips that Jesus is Lord. And I believe in my heart and confess with my lips that you have raised him from the dead. Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Be my Lord and be my Savior. The scripture says you will pass from death into life. You will go from the dominion under the boot of the dark, of, of the prince of the power of the air, of the, the kingdom of darkness, or the uh, dominion of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. And Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He guides me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. You prepare a table before me in the very presence of my enemies. My cup runs over. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. What an awesome thing. In fact, it says, surely goodness and mercy. And let me tell you how that can actually be translated. Only loving kindness and prosperity will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in Yahweh's house forever. I am not doing violence to the Hebrew text. That is exactly what it says. He is the good shepherd. And if you follow him, the good shepherd leads and he feeds. In fact, he even said in John chapter 10, my sheep go in and follow me. They go in and go out and find pasture. What a beautiful, beautiful promise. So if the price of beef goes to $50 a pound, he'll still feed you. If bread goes to $100 a loaf, he'll still feed you. If gasoline is $25 a gallon, he will still meet all your needs according to his riches. Yeah, I know you're thinking, I don't even see how he could possibly do that. It's not up to you to figure out how. It's just up for you and me to trust him. Amen and amen. We hope this message has been a great blessing to you and has helped build your faith in Jesus. We encourage you to visit our app, Independence Christian Center, on your cell phone available from the Apple App Store or Android, Google Play. You can also find us on Apple TV, Roku, Amazon, YouTube, and Facebook, again, under Independence Christian Center, or at our website, iccfamily, all one word, dot O-R-G, iccfamily.org. Our heart's desire here is to labor with the Lord in building His body. Until next time, may God's very best be yours.